All right, welcome to another episode of the Bioinformatics Lab podcast. I'm Kevin Libwit, joined by Andrew Page. We're from Fugen, and today we're talking about metagenomics and how difficult this is both on the wet lab setup side of things and also on the bioinformatics dry lab side. And we're going to discuss, I guess, some of the features to think about when starting to get into the field of metagenomics and maybe even how people start classifying it a little bit differently in terms of, okay, is Amplicon wastewater sequencing? Is that metagenomics? Are we talking full shotgun metagenomics uh, and all the like? So Andrew, where would you like to start when we talk about metagenomics being a difficult thing to approach? Yeah, I mean, I think we've uh, had it very easy, you know, uh, working bacteria with isolates and it's just like, oh, or, or in human, you know, it's just one organism and then you get, you sequence it and that's it, you know? Whereas when you go to metagenomics, it's just a random pile, you know, it's a, a haystack of needles and you don't know where everything goes. Uh, it's more or less, I guess you get lots and lots of jigsaws and you dump them into a huge pile and then you're told, okay, we don't know what these look like, just go and sort them out. And of course, that's a really hard task, you know. Um, yes. So I've done lots of different types of metagenomics from, say, 16S, which is where you look at one small little piece uh, that's conserved in, in bacteria, um, to shotgun, which uh, shortly shotgun, which is where you smash up DNA just in a, of all the stuff. So maybe it's stool or it's a, a throat swab where you have lots of different uh, organisms in there. And then you go, you sequence that big pile. And then at the other end, you have to kind of make some sense of it. You know, you might try and put it back together by doing assembly uh, and you get mags. Uh, medi- was it metagenome assembled? Oh, genomes. genomes. I think medi- is that it? Metagenomic assembled genomes? Genomes twice? So, yeah, yeah. God, yeah, <laughs> I messed that up. But uh, um, yeah, and then, you know, that's quite a challenge because then you might have one bacteria, but the chromosome is like 20,000 pieces. And that's good. You know, it, it can be even worse uh, sometimes. Uh, particularly for using short reads. And if you have your bacteria in 20,000 pieces, you don't necessarily know which because of which bacteria. And so then the next challenge is obviously binning those together to make these kind of mock um, genomes. And you can never fully rely on them. You know, there's there's always quite a high error rate, un- uncomfortably high error rate. So you have to factor that into everything you do. Um, so yeah, those, those are the, I guess, the major things people use. Other people would take, say, you mentioned wastewater, where you amplify yeah. up things in, in the material you want to look at. So maybe 16S is Amplicon as well. Um, so you amplify things up and then you look for them. So it might be like SARS-CoV-2 in wastewater. That's a, a very popular one. Or polio from monitoring, um, say for um, vaccine aversions, I think is a big issue. And then obviously wild type polio as well. And you can, but you can look for anything, you know, I was on a project looking at, uh, say, uh, salmonella typhi um, in wastewater. It, you might sometimes have to look at a lot of wastewater, uh, unfortunately, to find signals, but it's a good way of yeah. looking at a mass population. And I know with wastewater, um, say, if you can get, if one person in a population of about 10,000 has SARS-CoV-2, you can kind of detect it down to that level in, in a local sewage yeah. plant. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. It's hard though. Like it, it's a wild west and techniques change all the time and no one agrees on anything. Yeah. And, and it, it is a wild west. It is incredibly difficult. A lot of com- complexities. We're seeing some promises, but I think we're also at a point where we have to be taking this with an urgency because we, we talked about with whole genome sequencing, there's an ease in it because you get the isolate and you amplify that genome sequence and that's what you're analyzing. But I, I, I'm, I'm assuming it's similar in the UK, but a big challenge in public health labs now are these 
culture independent diagnostic tests to things like the biofire that are just rapid PCRs for pathogenic markers. So what this creates is an environment where laboratories aren't getting isolates for diagnosis. They've already been diagnosed without a culture. So the, the onus then is on the laboratory to try to find that pathogenic bacteria to isolate uh, these microbes that do the whole genome sequencing, which some laboratories, you know, or, or rather a lot of hospitals are waning in that capability or even just that functionality because they don't need to. So what they end up doing is just sending the complex sample out to the public health laboratory and then their tasks with doing that isolation, which is becoming increasingly difficult. So, you know, we've, we've spent the last five, seven years or so building up all this bioinformatics infrastructure with whole genome sequencing in mind. CIDTs is, is kind of forcing us to transition and to consider metagenomics. And we're seeing a, a yeah. huge rush that, to make sure that these these techniques have sound, solid, comprehensive science behind it. And what you're seeing actually is the adoption rate at, on different pathogens and different rates. Yeah. So let's say Campylobacter um, is far ahead of all the other pathogens, uh, certainly in the US and the UK. And so that's the one we're kind of losing visibility on first. But all the others are following, you know, E. coli, salmonella, everything is dropping off. You can really see that drop off because it, you know, it costs money to culture, whereas a PCR test is very cheap and cheerful. I know some groups actually, uh, CDC are looking at um, using, uh, I guess, high throughput, high scale multiplexing PCR. So maybe having, I know, 2000 amplicons, and then you can identify from the primary sample, basically it's metagenomics, you amplify up basically every gene um, of your, your bacteria. So you get mostly good coverage across the, the chromosome. And then you can do like CGMLST kind of stuff on top of that, um, which is a really, really neat solution. Um, obviously, you need different equipment. It's not sequencing. It's uh, per se, it, you know, it's kind of uh, targeted. Well, it's, it's, well, it is. It is yeah. targeted amplification. Um, but it's and, uh, and those those technologies kind of recently emerged too that allow for the like, the fluid dynamics of doing you know, a thousand PCR reactions or thousands of PCR reactions all within, you know, a simple comprehensive laboratory kit has, has yeah. been amazing. And, the, and actually that is speaking to our last conference. I remember that's being spoken about at the like, 2016, 2017 ASM microbe. So like, really? like yeah, yeah. So I do remember, I saw, forget exactly who it was. It may have been, but it was somebody from the enterics disease laboratory branch at the CDC. And they were speaking about this, you know, way back in, in 2016 of, Hey, I think we can, um, get enough primers to essentially capture all the core genome loci in a metagenomic yeah. sample. And then, it's, you, yeah, you know, it, then you essentially have the core genome MLSC. You could do the typing, you could do the characterization downstream of that. Um, so that seems to be a really promising approach. I guess the, the difficulty there is then that you, you don't do, um, I say that many separate reactions. You have, you, you pull them, uh, like yeah. in Arctic yeah, for SARS-CoV-2. And the difficulty then is kind of balancing those and, you know, because you get uh, different interactions and all the, the molecular stuff that I don't understand, yeah. uh, you know, can send some things crazy and, uh, you know, can give a bit of biases, but it is a really interesting way to approach it um, compared to, say, just sequencing everything and seeing what pops out. Um, yeah, so... We'll see. It's been coming soon for a while. So yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you're seeing all those different approaches. Like, yeah, we're, we're looking at these all these huge complex, even at the sample level. That's the conversation. How do you, in some way, narrow the focus or or narrow the scope of the genomic content that you're actually sequencing? So in this case, we're talking about 
um, amplifying specific regions. You know, there's the other, all these other DNA probe capture methods and things like that, that try to um, enrich your genomic data for the specific pathogen and concern. Um, yeah. And, and we're seeing all those things. But the thing I think is going to be the obvious problem there are things like E. coli, when even if you're targeting those primary sequences of the core genome, uh, delineating commensal versus pathogenic strains is, I don't know how you do that. Um, so I, I'm not, yeah, I don't know yeah. if you have insight on that. <laughs> well, I mean, one challenge is uh, a lot of, say, AMR and virulence genes are on plasmids. And then linking mm. the plasmid to the chromosome is difficult in a metagenomic sample. You can't unless you use something like high C, which is a specialist protocol. So there, you know, it it is a challenge, and you lose that information. So you don't necessarily know. You can't necessarily do <clears throat> uh, direct AMR on on samples if the uh, genes are on on plasmids. And <laughs> um, however. You can infer things so you might say well this lineage usually has this kind of um amr profile and so that's how some people have been getting around it you know they're mm. they've been inferring from the chromosome and um, what's going on there but it is a hard problem and actually if you look at any just like if you take a sample from your own gut and sequence that you're you're gonna get hundreds of yeah. uh, amr genes like i i think i had to look at a sample and say there's about 130 amr genes you know and just a, a, a standard healthy person and it's like well they're healthy you know we absolutely yeah. know they're healthy and they've you know they're jam-packed with these because people are exposed to them all the time and animals are exposed to them and you know so it's just generally environment and then of course bacteria you know it's an internal war between each other and so they have their own natural defenses as well so yeah it can be a very hard problem on, on certain fronts, but what a lot of people try and do, you know, as a first step is just classification. Yeah. And that's hard as well. You know, what, what species are in my sample? And yeah. Yeah. And there are some, maybe you call them still gold standards of how we're, we're approaching these things and tools that are widely adopted for at least the classification schemes. I'm thinking about uh, things like the Midas's, the Metaflons and the Krakens and, and these do a relatively good job when you're looking at taxonomic breakdown of what's happening. But um, I don't know if anybody would argue that you're looking at strain level uh, resolution and, and being able to do, it, it's more about what's in my sample at, at uh, maybe a species yeah. level. And you have to make a mental shift as well, because when you have an isolate, usually, you know, it's a single colony pick. So it's very likely it, it's all the same, you know, it's not yes. like you're, you, you know, you are, you're isolating that species probably on selective media or something like that. Then you're picking something out and growing it up again. And so, you know, that really narrows it down. The genetic diversity within that uh, strain is, you know, teeny tiny, hopefully. But when you're dealing with these kind of populations, you don't know within, within the person, do they have two or three or 10 different types of a, a species of bacteria? And sometimes people can, you know, if it's just yeah. a background commensal under no selective pressure, it can just take over. Okay. And this, okay. So we talked about all the difficulties and challenges in the wild west of things. Let's maybe shift where it has been applicable and utility. We talk about the, and the reason I thought about that is the sample source is so important. If we're talking about sputum, we're talking about stool. This is true wild west. It's very difficult to, to pull out things. But if you're yeah. looking at something like blood sample, where there's oh, going to be, totally. there should be, yeah, it, we're talking about a different conversation. 
Um, if you want to you know, speak on that, well, yeah, what is it? Yeah, I that? mean, uh, blood is the ultimate. I mean, it should be sterile. <laughs> you know, yes. uh, if, if you have a bacteria in your blood, you're very, very sick, uh, usually, yes. or, or a virus or whatever. Um, so yeah, that that's alarm bells ring, and you know, because obviously people have sepsis or whatever, and uh, that can be fatal. And so I've I've seen people report on like microbiomes in different parts of different sterile body sites, and I'm like, oh, are, you, are you sure? You know. Yeah. Because realistically, most of these are just errors, either algorithmic errors, database errors, or they're background noise, you know, because the reagents we use are not sterile. The sequencing instruments can have carryover, there can be bleed through and barcodes. There can be, you know, someone didn't wash their hands uh, properly, or, you know, maybe the person taking a sample, you know, if you see, say, Staph aureus in a, say, in a blood sample, that probably came from the skin of, you know, the person taking the sample, you know, it's like, or, or when they push the needle through, there's so yeah. many different ways and uh, you have to actually really think about it and, you know, put your thinking cap on to understand, you know, is this real or is it not? Is it likely to be just an error? And I always come from the point of view of it's, you know, it's contamination unless it's proven otherwise. Um, <laughs> That's I've seen so many disasters over the years. And I think you're hitting on all the, the, the important variables to consider and highlighting that the applications of metagenomics still right now takes a lot of manual consideration and collaboration with the sample collectors, the, the bioinformatics analysis, the wet lab scientists, the genomic epis to really have a comprehensive picture. It's not yet where from the data we can make huge um, declarations of what's happening. We need to consider everything uh, within the sample collection, the source, the type of sequencing, the bioinformatics algorithms before we can even really start to suggest uh, an idea of what's happening in the patient environment or otherwise. Absolutely. And then you have kind of standard um, contaminants then across industry, right? So if you get uh, some SARS-CoV-2 uh, popping up in your samples, there's a very high likelihood it's just contamination because factories have been pumping out so much positive control material or they've been doing so much uh, sequencing of this particular uh, bug and machines are contaminated and it's floating around in the air or, or whatnot. Or maybe it's poor practice within a sequencing lab where they don't uh, separate post and pre-PCR. And yeah, so... It's well worth, but it's super useful. You know, when you when you start yes. to, you, as long as you come to with your eyes wide open, uh, it is super super useful because you can identify things more rapidly without doing culture. You know, you can take someone who's very sick and sequence them much quicker from primary sample. Uh, it's a quicker prep, and you can knock many many errors off it. And say with TB, for example, that now people use whole genome sequencing uh, or sequencing a lot. Uh, because it's quicker to sequence it than it is to grow it. You know, if you try and grow mm. TB, it's what, six weeks or three months. Yep. And of course, you know, you, you, all you want is a, you know, what, what type of TB is it? What SNPs are in there in the chromosome for AMR purposes and for deciding on drugs. And so with TB, it's great because they can do a little, a little mini culture, but effectively it, it is kind of metagenomics and then sequence it and then see what pops out. And that it makes a real impact on patients and on, on epi and uh, infection control in the community. Yes, that's what feels like we're kind of on the, the frontiers of an amazing part of time in science because we see unbelievable utility in metagenomic sequencing, uh, but there's still the conversations that are prohibitive in terms of even cost, you know, the, how much you actually need to sequence in terms of coverage to generate the data that's going to be usable, the bioinformatics methodologies that are going around uh, to consider. So like as we, and these are all things we are figuring out, but we're still a bit in the throes of uh, this time in the sciences. And you're seeing, you know, people appreciate 
the potential utility and even current utility in terms of the investments around the world on things like wastewater sequencing as that early detector, as we had mentioned. Uh, but it's all about the considerations of controlling all these different variables that we're talking about, sample collection, sample extraction, bioinformatics, uh, data generation. We didn't even talk about even the, the long read versus short read of things um, and, and the, the downstream analysis from there. So, uh, but but to wrap this up, how would what are your final thoughts on where we're at with metagenomics and, and how people should uh, be thinking about things moving forward? I think genuinely direct sequencing from primary samples is the way forward, but it there's a few steps in between we have to sort out first. But you know, come back in ten years, and I'm sure that'll be the de facto standard that we're we're applying. Absolutely. All right, that was a great combo, and yeah, something we'll continue talking about for years to come. So we'll see everyone in the next one.